I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about the Netflix documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, and the BBC Three drama, Overshadowed. We've also read the Lisa Owens novel, Not Working, for the first time. So we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been rifling through the email inbox as always. I've got one here from Rachel who says she's just emailing to thank us for our recommendation of Shit Theatre's Dollywood, which is something I talked about from when I went to Edinburgh earlier this year. She said, I saw it this evening at Camden People's Theatre and totally loved it, hoping to see their sing-along Muppets Christmas show this December at the same venue. So I'm glad that Shit Theatre has reached some seriously listeners. Proof that recommending things does occasionally lead to people checking that thing out. We've also had lots of responses to our shout out on behalf of listener Mimi from last week, who was responding to our review of Wind River, that more I think about it, the more terrible I find it, that film about uh, kind of Western set in Wyoming, where she was saying, why aren't there more woman-centric westerns i'd be really interested in seeing some and lots of you got in touch to recommend things Gemma harris emailed in to suggest a film called meek's cutoff in which michelle williams is a key character who drives the story and it's a very slow but tense watch and then also lots of people on twitter liz was among several people who suggested a tv show called winona arp am i saying that right i'm really not the person to ask but it seems plausible <laughs> Yeah, apparently that's a Western fantasy feminist with a female lead and creator with gay subplot and a diverse cast. That sounds really cool. So that sounds like a good shout. A few people, as you say, recommend the Winona Arp thing. Someone says The Quick and the Dead, The Homesman, which is one that I haven't heard of of you. Mm, no. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I we haven't talked about on Seriously, but we I, I definitely have heard of, which I'm surprised that it's described as a, as a Western. But um, this person says that could be a more modern take. And even cowgirls get the blues, not a traditional Western, but dabs of it amongst the fantasy. And True Grit, which I have actually seen, of course. Oh, have you? I've not seen any uh, of these. True Grit is the one with um, Hayley Steinfield, who won an Oscar, I think, for her supporting actress performance oh, when she okay. was maybe 11 or 12, maybe a bit older. And now she's obviously kind of like pop star. And what was the film we saw her in that we really liked? Um, Edge of 17. Oh, that one was she... 
yeah. age of 17 yeah where she was having teen yeah, problems yeah so <laughs> and there's more in there there's loads of suggestions here yeah so um i've been retweeting them from the at seriously pod twitter so if you are interested in you know female-centric westerns western fantasy crossovers with lots of women in that kind of stuff um go there for recommendations totally the first thing we're going to talk about today is The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, which is a Netflix documentary made by the investigative journalist David France. It follows the LGBT rights activist Victoria Cruz as she investigates the death of Marsha P. Johnson, an icon of the New York LGBT scene who was found dead in 1992. The death was originally ruled to be a suicide, but Cruz explores the possibility that it could have been a murder the police refused to investigate. The film has also been controversial because the trans filmmaker Rainer Gossett alleges that France used some of her work uncredited. He denies this, but activists like Janet Mock have spoken out in support of Gossett. Oh, that's some extra info that I actually didn't know about there. It's come out quite recently, actually. I was just reading about it last night on the Teen Vogue website. Raina Gossett did a big Instagram post in which she put lots of details in about how, you know, she'd done all kinds of grant applications to make a very similar film and David France had been involved in the institution that was awarding the grants and then suddenly he's making a very similar sounding film and all this kind of stuff. He says that it's perfectly possible for two people to be working on similar things Mm. and that he's, you know, paid everyone who's contributed to his film and stuff. Not great, is it? (laughs) Not a great coincidence for him. It's not a great coincidence that a film about a black trans activist, which there was a version being made by a black trans activist, and it's actually the version by the white man that ends up getting the big distribution deal with Netflix and stuff. I mean, I'd be curious to see what Victoria Cruz, who is... The, the lead sort of role if that's the right word in this documentary mm. would say about that because she's obviously worked quite closely with the filmmaker I hadn't seen any comments from her yet so yeah I think it's it's a slightly messy situation with a lot of allegations that in the reports anyway there's not a lot of proof being offered mm. yet so I think it will probably develop but yeah it's as you say it's an unpleasant coincidence given the subject matter of the film So to talk about the film itself, it is looking into this particular case of Marsha P. Johnson's death, which does seem to be shrouded in mystery. And it becomes very clear early on that she died at a time in which the brutal attacking and murder of trans women was just not uncommon and not even considered that important by police officials at the time and also it delves very much into who she was as a person and what her role was in LGBT activism in the time that she was alive and for me I just found this film so educational because it speaks to a movement and a time that I am not um, super familiar with you know, you always know things about how much more people had to struggle to get their basic rights accepted in previous decades. But that really, really hit home watching this for me. Yeah, I found it the same that obviously I know the basic facts of what happened at Stonewall. Mm. But for instance, and I knew that Stonewall was a bar frequented by LGBT people, but I did not know, for instance, that Stonewall was a bar owned and sort of run essentially by the mafia. And that's why it was considered a safe haven for queer people, mm-hmm. etc. Because the mafia didn't allow the police to intervene. Right, exactly. So you've got kind of layers upon layers of 
hidden secrets going on to allow this place. And then, of course, the police raid it, you know, maybe partly because it's a mafia hangout and partly because it's there's loads of queer people there, who knows? And obviously it turns into a big riot that really galvanises the gay rights movement. And Marsha was there, as were lots of the other people who feature in this film. Mm-hmm. I think partly because of that event there's actually quite a lot of footage of Marsha given how marginalized she was as a person there's actually quite a lot of film footage of her speaking at demonstrations and you know she was a model for Andy Warhol and stuff like that so her life was fairly documented which I guess is what makes it possible to make a film about her whereas it wouldn't be possible to make a film about I'm sure the hundreds thousands of other people like her who died in you know are very hard to trace Mm. clearly as a person as well she just was very generous and really reached out to so many people that so many people felt that they owed something to her that a lot of people have been very kind of active in preserving her memory and making sure that she you know died for something if that makes sense One thing I found really interesting about this film is so many people working on the case to reopen the case of her death and just generally working in LGBT activism who were there at that time were people who were friends with Marsha as well as people who were politically influenced by her. And I think the personal and the political is so intertwined in this movie and it it really just hits home all the more why deaths are so upsetting why it's so personal when someone is trying to take away your rights obviously it's already personal but there's just something in this film where the idea that the police weren't looking into Marsha's death is not only symbolic and upsetting because it symbolizes how little the police want to look into the deaths of trans women it's also just upsetting on a very very personal level for so many of the people involved in this film Mm. because they loved her and they knew her and yeah that's something that really makes it clear to me that, you know, identity politics, they're never just politics, right? It's always personal because it's always about saying to someone that they don't count as a person. And that's just so upsetting and horrific. Yeah, there's some really great imagery in this film that I felt really revealed that. So like, there's lots of interspersing of archive footage with the present day narrative that follows Victoria Cruz and like you see in multiple different films this memorial that people made where when her body was pulled out of the river Mm. they obviously laid it down on the pavement for a bit and people put bottles in a kind of outline of the body and filled it with flowers and just made it look beautiful Mm. and important rather than this really horrible thing of like oh we just laid a corpse here and then we took it away kind of thing Mm. And seeing that from lots of different angles and from in lots of different people's footage, I found really striking. And also the interview with her friend Randy, yeah, um, who's essentially maintained a shrine to her and saved lots of ephemeral bits of paper and fabrics and stuff that she loved or that she wore or something as a kind of way of saying we we haven't forgotten you and you're still here. And drawers and drawers full of video cassette mm. tapes, which... Yeah, it really goes to show, as you say, there is so much archive footage out there and really striking to see that footage because it is so it just takes you immediately into that moment. And it's also very beautiful. It's it's very that there's so much beauty around that movement. And I know that might seem like a superficial thing to say, but everyone looks incredible and everyone's so themselves that 
although you're watching something that speaks to a very dark time for a lot of people and so you don't want to romanticize it it is also sometimes hard not to not to just recognize how beautiful all these people are and how mm. and how they're working that you know their their political aims are also seem so beautiful and i know at the time you know the fringe movements you know like movements to accept trans people they always seem more extreme at the time i guess because now to us that seems like i mean i know it doesn't for a lot of people but to me at least that seems like such an obvious given <laughs> and it obviously wasn't at the time and you really do get a sense of how fractured the lgbt movement was then just as it can be now it made me think a bit about uh, olivia lang's book the lonely mm-hmm. city actually um and what she wrote about uh later on some of the gay community in the 80s when the AIDS crisis was really really bad and how you know she wrote about the artists who were still making beautiful Mm. things in New York in the village at that time even when everything was dreadful Mm. it yeah it really made me think of that and I want to go reread those chapters actually and because I feel like you I feel like I've learned a lot from this film and I'm kind of filling in the gaps between what I already know yeah and it's amazing to see the the these people so like Victoria or Randy or Sylvia these activists who are very much there in the in the height of these movements in the you know 70s and 80s and then you're seeing them as you know much older people um in the modern mm. footage and they're so the same and they've they they've so stri- stayed true to their values the entire time that they've you know been on this planet and they're all still sort of working in in activism in some way and they all dress kind of the same and they've all still got amazing mm. makeup <laughs> and and you're just like I have just an inordinate amount amount of respect for the ability to just like know who you are and fight for it and fight for it for a really long time it's just incredible it's really really amazing sometimes I found the pacing of the film a bit slow mm-hmm. But I think that's a kind of stylistic choice that's been made. You know, it's a feature length documentary. And I think we're supposed to feel like we're walking in Victoria's Mm -hmm. shoes. You know, she's older now. She's coming towards the end of her career. She's retiring from the Mm -hmm. project she works at. And she's investigating this as her like last thing that she wants to Mm -hmm. get done. So it does feel a bit sometimes like, oh, you know, this feels like a really dramatic story. I want more of it now but you're like forced to take it at her pace. Totally. Uh, one thing that I do think is good about this is it could have been quite easy to make this a kind of like true crimey thing where it's like, what oh, yeah. really happened to Marsha? And it doesn't really ever veer fully into that territory. There are notes of it, but it never it never goes into that salacious kind of area, which I appreciated. And, and I really liked the way that it made links with kind of more recent um, cases. So there's a, there's, is it Ilan mm. Nettles? Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Um, who was, you know, really horrifically, brutally murdered, um, basically for being trans. And the, the way that they make those parallels between those two cases really hits home because part of you wants to say, this is a historic problem when of course, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. That's just not how it is. So I, I thought those attempts to move away from shocking death in the past and move towards like, this is a structural problem was really, really commendable. There's a black river It passes by 
at night All dolled up like Christ I walk the water Between the pillars When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So the next thing we're going to talk about this week is Overshadowed, a BBC3 short-form drama which follows the life of Irish vlogger Imogen, played by Michelle Fox. As Imo becomes more and more obsessed with her weight and her appearance, she encounters a mysterious new best friend who appears in the background of her videos. The show's completely shot in a vlogging style, with each of the episodes running to about 10 minutes. So yeah, it's these very short, very easily digestible little bite-sized episodes on the BBC3 site. And I think there's eight of them, so it comes, it ends up being almost an hour and a half, right? Mm, yeah, but you could easily watch the whole thing in one sitting. Or, I did. you know, consume them like vlogs. I've I've watched four of them over three days. You know, I've mm-hmm. watched sort of just over one a day. Uh, yeah, and it's like we've said when we've reviewed a lot of things that have come out from BBC Three since they went online only. It's it actually gets the language of the internet really well. It's not forced or it doesn't seem dated or scripted really in any way. It actually feels like you're watching someone's vlog, but. As you watch more episodes, a background narrative starts to emerge and you start to think, hang on, like what's being presented in these vlogs is not really the story here. Mm. I find it interesting because I'm not sure if we've ever really done a sort of TV show shot in the style of vlogs before. Like We've done no. things like the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, but it does, it does feel like something that maybe hasn't been properly done before. And sometimes it didn't work for me because they have to they have to put the whole of the action in the vlog so so like for example her first kiss with a random boy happens as she's like filming a vlog because yeah. you need to see it and that's kind of like but then in my mind i said to myself well this is the kind of like raw footage and we're probably not seeing the like edited f- finished final mm. vlogs so we'll like give them some artistic license <laughs> but there so there are a few moments where it feels a, a bit like things are kind of shoehorned in but there are other moments that i think are really really great like you say that the tone is is very right 
like in the beginning when she's a bit more herself she starts off as someone who's not necessarily in the grips of a very serious eating disorder when she's a bit more herself she says she does a lot of the kind of classic vlogger stuff of like hello today we're going to the market like yeah. doing that weird kind of like singing voice and like the edits are very right and everything like that but it, it obviously does have to stretch the format as it goes on just to include everything that you want to see but yeah and then basically she starts off doing this vlog because she's like oh I really want to get my life in order I want to like start running because I like never exercise and I want to feel healthier and that to me also feels very true because I think it's a bit like Bridget Jones's diary does on the first words of Bridget Jones's diary, something like I won't or something like that. It's like a list of all the things she's going to give up doing. Yeah. And it's very, she puts um, her weight at the top of every entry and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it does really speak to this thing that I'm sure all women or, you know, a lot of women will have experienced, which is that thing of being like, right, I'm starting I don't think men do this, really, this thing with, like, diaries and being like, right, from today, mm-hmm. I do this. So, like, the new year comes and you're like, right, okay, I'm not smoking anymore. I'm going to give up this bad habit. I'm also going to try and lose weight and I'm going to start doing better at my job. And I'm going to, and you, like, put this absolutely unreasonable amount of pressure on, like, a fresh start where you're like, yes, everything in my life is going to change. And she's a bit like that in this first episode. And I found that quite realistic. Yeah, very much so. And that's something that when you read, if you, I, I quite often fall down a sort of blog hole of mm-hmm. people like recommending mindfulness and stuff like that. And one of the more sensible things that bits of advice that gets repeated a lot is don't do that. Don't try and change everything about yourself in mm-hmm. one fell swoop because mm-hmm. you just won't be able to stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, or the chances are what happens to Imo in this might happen, which is that you're trying to be so extreme in order to keep up with your own unrealistic expectations that it can go really badly for you. And that's, I think, the most interesting aspect of this is that because it's all shot in this first-person vlogging style and you don't see any other exposition, you you get to see the the kind of, to be really dramatic about it, the kind of the light and dark fighting in her mm. as it's happening. Mm. And that's also externalized in the form of this best friend mm. who i think initially you think oh right she's just one of her friends who she hangs out with at school and stuff but she's always there you know she's in her bedroom late at night she's there first thing in the morning she's in the background of every video and you gradually come to realize that she's not actually there mm. that she's like the manifestation of her mental health problems really yeah and she introduces everyone in her life in that very vloggy way like this is my sister this is what what are you doing Mm -hmm. sister like oh mum, why are you sat there and this person never gets an introduction she just suddenly appears so it's very like ooh, what's going on here this is not right from the beginning but yeah it's it's an interesting way of looking through the lens of of this particular illness because we've talked a lot on the show in the past i think about representations of eating disorders on tv and in movies because it's something that's really hard to get right and i thought this was a great example of how you can make something powerful about eating disorders without talking about calories without talking about how Mm. much people weigh without showing you like tricks of how to hide disordered eating you know that that it doesn't it doesn't need to be a how-to guide to be (laughs) 
um or, or it doesn't need to like make you feel the pressure you know like in this kind of thing if when hearing someone's weight and hearing a really low weight can automatically make you feel insecure about your own even though that's a that's crazy really because you don't want to be an unhealthy weight mm. and this show it just didn't do any of that and I loved I loved that element of it if it's not very sort of like inspo either you know you no. don't like um I know you wrote that really good piece about the Netflix thing to the bone mm. this doesn't have any kind of romantically lit images of a really thin person getting on the scales or anything like that you know because it's all from her perspective she doesn't show you those things yeah and she is very thin and from the beginning she's very thin like Mm, from the beginning you're like what's going on here when she's like oh I want to lose a bit of weight because she's super thin and other things she's thin she's white she's a woman she's young and people have criticized anorexia documentaries and and fictional you know films and tv shows before for choosing always to focus on that person who has an eating disorder Mm. and it's always anorexia and it's always this very specific type of person and so you could level that criticism at this show for sure but I just was very happy that it was avoiding the other serious pitfalls that I see so so often in these kinds of shows and also that you know you get to know her family and you know the cast of characters feels quite good there's the the stuff with her school friends is maybe a bit weird her school friends are a bit caricatured when you meet them yeah I thought that (laughs) they are um particularly I can't remember her name but the one who has her hair in like a really high bun and could almost be out of like a Catherine Tate sketch yeah the one who looks like Adele yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes they're a bit um overdone and a bit sort of overly they're really kind of like oh yeah her working class mates as well like she's her and her family seem quite middle class and then her friends don't so much and I don't know that's that's all a bit funny but I do I really liked the sister role Mm, in this um I liked the mother role because she said something early on about her mum dieting and that comes back a little bit towards the end and I do think that's really common for a lot of people that it starts at it starts at home with parents and friends of parents and older women coming to the house and you know worrying about their weight so much and it does you do kind of soak it up so yeah I on the whole I liked this and there might be people out there with experience of eating disorders who have other thoughts that they want to chime in with that we that we've missed but I thought it was good both in terms of its of it of being able to look at anorexia without being overly triggering though I'm sure it still would be tr- triggering for people who have had you know very serious experiences of eating disorders and for its kind of accuracy in terms of what vlogging looks like and how young people yeah. talk and all of that stuff but I, I would be interested to hear from seriously listeners what they think about it and it's easy to watch so yes do get in touch seriouslypod at gmail.com tell us your thoughts Everything happened in a day You don't know whether you're coming or going But you think that you're on your way Life lines up on the mirror, don't blow it Look at me when I'm talking to you You're looking at me but I'm looking through you I see the blood in your eyes I see the love in disguise I see the pain hidden in your pride Satisfied, and I don't see nobody else. I see myself. I'm looking at the mirror of the world. Here we are again. 
So last week I recommended to Anna that she read the novel Not Working by Lisa Owens, which is a kind of millennial comedy, I think it's probably meant to be, about a woman called Claire who quits her job and doesn't have a plan about what she's going to do next. So Anna, how did you get on with it? Yeah, it's a funny book. I thought it was going to go in different directions that it ended up going in. So it's about Claire and... As you say, she's just quit her job. And then I think it, I mean, it lasts a good eight months to a year, I'd say, the whole course Mm. of the book. So she's unemployed for a a pretty significant period of time, right? When she quits her job, she's kind of expecting to, to be a month or two. So it's interesting to see that time period kind of because you you start to feel a bit like one of her family members where you're like oh my god I really want her to like get it together (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it takes her a lot longer than you'd kind of hope I don't know it's an interesting one because there's so much about it is quite subtle and there's lots of stuff going on with her family and her friends and there's stresses in all the little corners of her life but nothing so serious is happening to her so there's some health scares and there's there's one part that is quite funny in that you kind of wish that other characters were treating it more seriously than they were, which is she mentions at her granddad's funeral that her granddad used to get his penis That's out weird, and show it, it to her. And everyone's like, why did you say that at his funeral? Why are you being such a like, you know, why are you doing this? And even her boyfriend is like, yeah, that was a bit weird, Claire. And you're like, wait, what? Why does no one care that this happened to her? <laughs> and even she's like, mm. oh, it didn't work. It didn't upset me or anything. It's not a big deal. It was just like funny. It's not, it doesn't, it's, n- it's not a big deal. And you wish that there was someone in her life to be like, wait, this might have actually felt really weird and horrible to you as a child. Are you like, okay, <laughs> no one does that. But apart from that, nothing particularly bad is happening to her. And we've all, I think, been there where we can't actually see what all these things are that are making us really, really upset and actually pushing us towards a place that is like quite dark and very unhappy but it's not just her job it's all sorts of things happening at the same time even if they don't seem particularly big or overwhelming because her initial reason for quitting is that she you know it's a boring but well-paid marketing job and it's not really what she wants to do and then there's a there's a quote later on when she realizes she says I used to think that the problem was that I didn't like my job but now I see the problem is that that wasn't the whole problem mm that there were lots of little things about her life that were making her unhappy and cumulatively that was making her miserable. But she was mistakenly putting all that blame on her job, as it were. Mm. And so actually by quitting her job, all she did was magnify all the other problems. Mm. So, you know, friction in her relationship, problems in her family, partly because of the funeral thing that like her mum doesn't speak to her for ages. Mm. The fact that lots of the people who she sort of thinks are her friends are quite shallow and self-involved and not really interested in her at all. Mm. The fact that she seems to have a tendency to rely on alcohol mm. as a you know means of getting through the day. Mm. So the fact that she's got no purpose and no job and doesn't feel like she's contributing all just makes her feel dreadful Mm. but there were a few things about this that I felt like the cover of the book and the sort of blurb slightly missold it because like for instance she lives with her boyfriend who's a brain surgeon and they own their own flat Mm. and the fact that she doesn't work for nearly a year doesn't really seem to put them in any financial difficulties so as I think I said last week I kind of picked up this book being like ah maybe this is quite relatable I've just you know started being a freelancer and moved to a different place mm. and I'm thinking about money completely differently and I was like oh no actually this is all just totally unobtainable to me 
Yeah. If I'd quit my job with no idea of what I was going to do, this is not how my life would have gone. Mm-hmm. There's a few people in her life who are a bit like, oh, all right for some. And she's like, no, it's not like that. I have savings. And it's like, yeah, so it is like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it exactly is. like that. What did you make of the f- the way that it was written? Because it's written in these tiny little sections, each with a little heading. And they do string together into a coherent narrative, but they're also just like little vignettes about, you know, things she sees. Mm. Yeah, I really liked these and kind of the more irrelevant they were, the more I liked them. So there's like yeah. one that's just, so that they all have like a little every every paragraph or so in this book has a little italicized heading. So it might be tube and she might be talking about people on the tube. But then sometimes they're a bit more kind of enigmatic. So there was one just called That's the Spirit. And she was like, I'm in the park and I can see this little dog tottering towards me clasping clasping his teeth is a branch four times his size (laughs) and then that's it and then it moves on to another thing and you never hear about that again but those were kind of the little bits that I I really liked about this book because they're so they've just got such a nice spirit and they're they feel almost more individual than the rest of the books um kind of more straightforward plot about you know Mm. young woman in late 20s early 30s struggling to find purpose in life you know I did I think I did enjoy this book in some ways, but I raced through it really quickly and it felt quite insubstantial. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I'd how agree. You felt like I I didn't feel like there was huge amounts of depth in its observations or in its characters. And I was I as you say, I enjoyed some of the writing of those little irrelevant sections. And I also just kind of wanted to know what happened from a purely like page turning point of view. But yeah, I'm not sure it's gonna kind of linger with me for a very long time. Not much happens. And they set up quite early on. There's this idea that like her boyfriend works with this woman called Fiona. And from like the first few pages, something seems a bit off about Fiona and his Mm. relationship with Fiona. And I was really expecting this big reveal about how he was cheating on her this whole time. And I was like, when's it coming? When's it coming? And spoiler alert, it it never came. (laughs) And 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 nothing like that really happened and maybe that's just much more realistic and much more like life like you have these niggling doubts about your boyfriend's you know close work friend but actually she is just a close work friend and you know you you've got you think that you're coming to a massive head in in with problems with your mum in your relationship and actually they just sort of fizzle out and your mum starts speaking to you again and it's fine I really wanted her to get somewhere in terms of how she viewed about her life. And at the end, she's like, actually, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to save up a bit and then I'm going to go traveling for six months, which kind of like made me sad because I was a bit like, wait, yeah, no, same. that's what you do when you're like, not, I mean, you can do that in any time in your life, but like, that's what you do when you like, just want to postpone the problem a bit, unless yeah. you really want to go somewhere and you've wanted to go there your whole life. But she seemed like she didn't really know where she wanted to go. She didn't kind of give a shit. Like, it just seemed like she had this window in which she could go away for six months. So she was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll worry about this when I get home. So, and again, maybe that's just much more realistic than her being like, actually, I'm also going to become a brain surgeon because that's my passion, you know? Yeah. And the epilogue to this book kind of indicates that actually they go away for six months. Her boyfriend goes and does a residency at a hospital in New York. She travels, whatever. But it sort of indicates that she comes back and picks up where she left off mm. in the sense that the epilogue describes how, you know, she's been for a run and then she like kisses her boyfriend goodbye before heading off to work really early and stuff. And you're like, ah, oh, so she's gone back into a... It doesn't mention what the job is or mm. if she likes it or anything. You think, ah, oh, so maybe she found that 
once she sorted out some of her other problems. Yeah. Just going to work in a job that made good money and was okay was actually fine. Yeah, it's kind of I don't know, maybe maybe the reason I'm not so into this book is because I'm just like, oh, that's a depressing way to look at life. <laughs> I know. That's the thing, isn't it? I maybe I I wanted it to have some grand creative revelation mm-hmm. where she was like, "No, I have always wanted to write a sequel to Ulysses and I'm going to yeah. do that now." Whereas actually <laughs> You're right. Maybe it's just a lot more realistic to be like, oh, I'm a bit unhappy. I'm going to make a bad decision and then eventually come around to the fact that everything was basically fine in the first place. And mm. I am a very privileged person and I'm very lucky and I should just <laughs> get on with that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I I sort of recommended this to you because I wanted someone else to have difficulties with it. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I definitely did. And especially when I started to get towards the end and I was like, it, it frustrated me that I that we mm. after that much investment that you didn't get more. But anyway, if seriously listeners want to read and join in the discussion, please do. It's Not Working by Lisa Owens. So for next week, I've been watching Big Little Lies about a million years later than the rest of the English-speaking population. And I want you to watch it too, so we can talk about it together. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm going to give it a go. I feel like it's been a real like pop culture event, Big Little Lies. And yeah. maybe unusually for us, we were just like, meh, at the time. We just yeah, didn't look totally. at it. So it's an HBO miniseries um, starring Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, loads of sick women, basically. And it's about them and their community in this town of Monterey in California and their children. And something bad has happened. And there's from the off, there's some sort of like police detective interspersed with this narrative from a few weeks earlier. And she's talking about terrible injuries and the body. and blah, blah, blah. So you get the sense that mm. there's been some kind of horrific death or maybe even murder. And you're kind of working towards that moment throughout the whole season but you get a really good sense of these women characters too so we'll talk about that more next week i hope you enjoy it i can't wait to try it Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.